This episode of AVXL was recorded on July 16th, 2020. We're going to talk about NBC's Peacock Mass, LG's new LED projector, the end of Harmony Express, the latest 2020 TVs, some sweet soundbar action from Vizio, and a pile of your viewer questions. Don't forget to ask at AVXL.com if you got a question for Robert or I. Testing one, two, three. All right. I'm not blowing anything out. Ignorant weasels chewing on your soul. Ignorant weasels. Do you have speed? Yeah. Welcome to AVXL, your guide to the best in home video and audio gear, no matter what your budget is. I'm Patrick Norton. Hey, I am Robert Heron. This should have been last week's episode, but I had a really fascinating USB glitch on a notebook that led to an impossible amount of background noise to uh, fix from the recording. So I would like to apologize for the mayhem involved in that. I would also like to ask anybody who understands the process of getting a driver's license in the state of St. Louis, or it's the state of Missouri, <laughs> feel free to email ask at avxl.com and explain it to me because it's been highly amusing. The private offices and the scheduling and the mayhem. I digress, though. <laughs> I am due for a trip to the DMV myself in the next less than 30 days now for a license renewal. I actually have to go in and get a new photo and probably take an eye test. I'm looking forward to it. Eye test. Except it's... No appointments can be scheduled. They're still dealing with the backlog of previous appointments that have been created. So they're not even accepting new appointments. If you have to do something now, at least in the California DMV system, you're stuck just showing up and waiting. So, yeah. <laughs> it's uh sign of the times, baby. I will say South Dakota's DMV office uh, completely ruined me for any other DMV office experience. Um, Ooh. Like I walked in there and out of there with a new driver's license in my hand, freshly printed and still warm in like 25 minutes. Oh, it was glorious. That's nice. Yeah. Hamilton uh, came out on Disney Plus uh, Friday, July 3rd. This became a really popular soundtrack for our uh, road trip this winter. Uh, so I'm several years late for Hamiltonian madness. Finally actually seeing the dance and the sets and the actors or actors and actresses, if you prefer, um, and the lighting was really fascinating. And of course, it's different from the official soundtrack we had. Did you feel that the uh, the TV presentation did justice to how it would be if you actually went to the uh, Broadway play of Hamilton? Or is it something just completely different? No, it's definitely, it's they literally like sat cameras in the audience to record kind of from the audience's perspective. But the thing I always, it doesn't matter what play or musical or what era it is. Um, if you actually have people on a stage, I'm always frustrated when the camera choice or the camera angle they go to is not the one I would choose from the audience, which is kind of a funny thing to say, but it's a curated experience in the sense that, you know, they have a bunch of shots and they can do close-ups or wide angle or, or whatever, you know, options they choose, you know, as a director and then the cinematographer, which is vastly different from having your ass in a seat surrounded by several hundred people staring up on the stage. I mean, you know, first of all, you're probably getting a better view. Second of all, um, you don't have to pay $500 for a ticket. Uh, third of all, they do things where they do close-ups or far away or whatever it is and uh, close-ups or wide shots, not far away. <laughs> Cut to the far away shot, Bob. <laughs> um, it's not like I've spent my half my adult life working in uh, video production. In that sense, it's 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 never exactly the same as as being in the room. But for getting the sense of everything that's going on, and there's a lot going on visually. 
it was huge. It was also interesting because at this point they'd been doing the show for a while and you have sort of the official soundtrack, which is super perfect, you know, recorded in a studio. And then you have, you know, little things that they do differently. And there's a couple of curses because like, they can only like curse once and get a PG-13 because America's weird that way. It was interesting to see parts where they were kind of maybe communicating to audience members or looking at people while they were singing stuff. And there was obvious, you know, there was some sort of friends or family in the audience that they were they were thinking about during certain moments. Okay, so they really did try to recreate the Broadway experience then for a television yeah. broadcast. And that's pretty cool. And that's on Disney Plus. That's on Disney Plus. Probably an exclusive. The other one that came out that was, you know, supposed to go for theatrical release, but of course theater openings are problematic because of COVID was Greyhound, which is Tom Hanks World War II drama around the Battle of the Atlantic. And Apple TV picked this up, or Apple picked this up. It's not actually Apple TV, because I'm like, okay, I'm gonna buy Greyhound because, you know, I love Playtone slash Tom Hanks movies about World War II, uh, but it's actually on Apple TV+. Plus. So I decided to try the free week uh, trial on Apple TV+. Plus. Not super impressed with Apple TV+. Plus. Um, feel free to email askatavxl.com if you have some suggestions for series that are there. But it was interesting to, to watch that. Interesting film. Not a huge amount of character development. Uh, it's about the Battle of the Atlantic. Um, you know, it's it's a ship and submarines and staying alive during an incredibly depressing part of World War II or one of the most uh, brutal battlegrounds of, of World War II, which is a bunch of mostly unarmed ships and a few escort destroyers uh, versus incredibly vicious submarines. So that's kind of the setup for this. And Tom Hanks plays the commander on his first trip across the Atlantic. Very cool. The ending is interesting. It's fun to watch. We were laughing about this before we started recording. You're finally breaking down and replacing your workstation, your long-suffering workstation. My long-suffering workstation. Indeed. I (laughs) prompted this build by an overclocking experiment that apparently went awry. I've never actually fried a CPU overclocking it, although maybe I'm not trying hard enough. I finally introduced some glitches into my current CPU that seem kind of permanent. In the essence of (laughs) trying to have a a stable new workstation, I went out and picked out some, I'd say, mid-range parts. I wasn't looking to build the absolute most expensive thing I could build, but at the same point, I ended up going with uh, an Intel i5-10600K, Asus Z490G motherboard, 64 mm-hmm. gigs of DDR4 RAM. I threw in an NVMe boot drive and a little bit of Windows Pro to make everything nice and spicy. Nice. I am really looking forward to it. I am bringing a few of the parts from my current workstation to the new workstation. In particular, I have this one optical drive that I it's relatively new and I still occasionally work with disks. So I actually needed an optical drive. And when I was picking out a case, I had one like sitting in my shopping cart for like a month going, no, that's definitely the case I want. (laughs) And then I took a good look at this case and it featured not a single five and a quarter drive bay for an optical drive. And I was like, well, I don't want to deal with external stuff and I just need this one drive. So I I picked a different case that actually had one five and a quarter bay drive so I can get that in there. And the other thing I'm going to bring along will be my current graphics card too. I'm, I'm kind of waiting to see the next gen of graphics cards before I go and up, upgrade anything. This motherboard combo, uh, it also has built-in Wi-Fi, which is something I wanted. I mm-hmm. don't run hard lines into the room I have my desktop in, so wireless support is something I added as a extra card in my current workstation. And having it just built into the motherboard saves one extra part, basically. 
and keeps it nice right. and clean. I picked this particular motherboard too for its power filtering. Uh, the I can't even think of the specific parts off the top of my head, but this one had almost twice as many in terms of being able to manage small fluctuations in the power that's received by the CPU. If in the event down the road, I'd end up doing a little overclocking or things like that. It makes for a more stable system. Having some very good components right on the motherboard itself to mm-hmm. make everything nice and clean. And I just want to give a quick shout out to Tom's hardware. I was having the hardest time figuring out what power supply to buy, like what are good brands today. I had a, hmm. a power level in mind that I was looking for, and they had some good late reviews or reviews of very new hardware. And the one thing I then ran into was how difficult it is to find some particular parts, let alone everyone seems to be building something right now. And because of the current situation in the world, I don't think the production of these parts is at the level it used to be. So everything in general has gone up 5, 10, 20% in some cases. And if you're not careful looking around for parts, you can easily run into somebody trying to sell something for two or three times what it lists for. (laughs) Don't be in a hurry. Take your time. Make sure you get everything you want. I'd also like to throw out a shout to the folks over at Gamers Nexus and Jay's Two Cents for their recent reviews and suggestions. Uh, Between those three, I kind of just narrowed down pretty quick what I was looking for. And I'm looking forward. I should have everything in hand by Monday afternoon. And by Tuesday, hopefully, I will get that sucker fired up. That's exciting. Yeah, I'm stoked. <laughs> and I'm and I'm going to do my best not to overclock the system for a little while, at least. I understand the siren song of overclocking. At this point, though, you know, so many of the modern... And I, I'm torn between wanting to get every last ounce of performance, especially out of the Ryzen processors, which overclock shockingly well, versus uh, my desire... Uh, to have an incredibly stable system, and the CPUs are so powerful right now. Truly. Uh, out of the box. If I were going with AMD, I would be less inclined to overclock one of their one of their processors in particular because it can limit the peak boost on a particular core, especially in single-threaded applications. Say the chip can do a single core up to 4.4 gigahertz. Mm-hmm. If you overclock, you may run into a wall where the whole system can't go above, say, 4.2. Right. And if you fix it at that, you're never going to get 4.4. <laughs> on Intel, it's a little more crazy in terms of, yeah, if you want to try some overclocking, you can get some pretty interesting levels of performance gains. But you're right. Uh, for this time and place right now, even at all the default settings I'm using, it's still going to give me about a 50% boost in my frame rates. And this also cuts my budget for buying a PlayStation 5 anytime soon. So <laughs> I will not be buying the first wave of the new game consoles. I will instead stick to the PC game platform for a little while longer. You could do worse. Heck yeah. Somewhat less thrilling, NBC's, <laughs> NBC Universal's Peacock streaming service, which, much like HBO Max, does not have Roku or Amazon presence, no, no app on those platforms. Uh, it will work on compatible smart TVs. There are some issues, though. Roku and Amazon have not come to a deal with NBC Universal for offering the Peacock app for their streaming service. You're stuck using only smart TVs at this point that have the NBC Universal app available. And NBC does provide a list of all the current devices. The problem is, is that currently HDMI connectivity is not supported at this time. And this is via a tweet from Peacock TV Care, <laughs> which is the NBC Universal support service. 
because HDMI connectivity is not supported, users will not be able to view via external monitor connections. They'll need to use their PC, mobile, or one of the other supported devices directly. And they provide a link to that. It's a little irritating. This is a clearly a short-term issue until the deals are signed with Roku and Amazon and anyone else who wants to add the Peacock app. It's there, but if you're used to just throwing a new app on your Fire TV stick or your Roku platform and just going, it's not quite there yet. <laughs> you'll be you'll be waiting for longer than you expected, which makes me sad. HBO Max has been interesting. It first took over my iPhone. There's still no Roku client. So I loaded it onto my Apple TV so I could actually see it on a larger screen. By the way, watching Greyhound reminded me of how badly I miss my projector, which will be coming home in the near future. Cool. There's an amazing catalog on HBO Max. It's kind of astonishing because there's so much Warner Brothers stuff and you know everything that HBO has. Unfortunately, a lot of the content looks like HBO now. There are compression issues. There are blotches. There are artifacts. Related notes, Game of Thrones, The Long Night, i.e. The Battle of Winterfell, uh, is out on Blu-ray or 4K HDR, and it looks fantastic nice um, which made me realize that a lot of what's going on there one they shot it with you know sort of 4k hdr in mind which is which is why they were so comfortable with the darkness that frustrated so many people watching it uh, streaming it also means that it's another confirmation that uh, i think i've i feel we're using feeling words in the group right now we're all going to understand each other i feel that hbo compresses the crap out of a lot of stuff in a way that it mars the experience um that's too the bad. Harry Potter series, a lot of blotchy compression. The Studio Ghibli titles have sampled uh, look pretty good so far. I was watching, uh, pretty closely watching My Neighbor Totoro and some other stuff, uh, as do most of the in-house series, the Long Night being a particularly brutal example of, of uh, what's going on uh, on a bad day. Overall, Disney Plus and Netflix seem to look a lot better than a lot of the HBO content. Uh, and I'd, I'd, at some point, I will figure out a, a, a comfortable way to kind of measure the bandwidth that they're consuming on these uh, or to see if there's a, a, a measurable difference in the amount of bandwidth that they're consuming. It Maybe HBO does have it turned up tighter. I'm stoked that HBO is finally offering some of their premium content on 4K HDR Blu-ray. That is something I have been wanting for a long time because maybe I maybe I'm not interested in subscribing to HBO but there is certainly some of their content I would like to see and thankfully in the highest quality we can possibly have right now it's frustrating when you look at stuff like that uh, HBO did tell CNET that 4K HDR, Dolby Vision, HDR 10 Plus, and Dolby Atmos are on their roadmap for HBO Max they just didn't give anything that even remotely resembled uh, a commitment on when that would be <laughs> So no surprise. You know, it's funny. It's it's yeah, 4K Ultra HD Blu-ray. I've seen a clip. I will have to purchase uh, purchase the Blu-rays at some point to get a really good look at them. Or the uh, 4K HDR Blu-rays. I saw it running for a few minutes. I look forward to seeing the entire thing. LG's uh, latest LED projector. You're pretty stoked about this one. I was well. The super green projector. Super green baby. I was interested, <laughs> and I always have been interested in any projector that uses LEDs as a light source. They are very robust. Mm -hmm. They generally last tens of thousands of hours. You don't have to change a lamp module. And your recent talk of setting up your home theater room got me thinking, would this be something for a good home theater room, something dedicated where you have great light control and the LG HU70 LA and then the LAB, depending if you want the case in white or black, 
1800 mm-hmm. bucks, 4K DLP projector, up to 1500 ANSI lumens of brightness. It also features HDR10 as well as LG's Think QAI, which is effectively their app store. This projector is more like a TV really than a projector in terms of having all this built-in functionality with Bluetooth and Wi-Fi. I think it is a convenient projector. But looking over some of the reviews from the folks like projectorcentral.com, they highlight that it didn't have the best contrast ratio. When you're trying to do a scene with very convincing black levels, say, this might not be the best projector for that well-controlled room. You might want to actually step up and spend a little bit more money on something that could do a better contrasted performance with this type of content. However, just for ease of use, I really like LG projectors for all of those integrated features. Granted, with any projector, you can always add a streaming stick like a Roku or a Fire TV. But in the case of the LG, that stuff is built in, in addition to an over-the-air TV tuner. So Mm -hmm. you can literally just hang an antenna off this thing and point it at a wall. Done. You have a good experience. One cool thing about this particular projector, it is DLP-based using LED. And it actually has red, blue, and green LEDs to do the Rec. 709 presentation. When it switches up to HDR10, it'll actually engage another green LED. They're super green. I don't think they call it super green. What do they call it? It is dynamic green. And this super rich green LED basically helps expand that color palette out to something like the DCI spec used in Hollywood and things you would see on 4K ultra high def Blu-rays or your your HDR streaming services. The RGB LEDs in this projector are literally perfect for doing standard Rec. 709 color, but for HDR as well, having that dynamic green helps dramatically increase the richness of color that can be presented by this projector. I actually love having a DLP projector paired with LED lighting in the sense that LEDs generally are pulsed and they can be timed quite accurately with the chip itself so that when the mirror goes off, that LED can pulse off. And I have seen instances where superb contrast is possible from an LED projector, but given the price point of this at $1,800, bucks, it's it's not the most expensive LED projector out there in 4K with UHD color. I think for anybody with a dedicated room, you might want to think twice just because you could get better contrast performance in the end with a different projector. We were talking about this. Uh, For me, I am kind of obsessed with my next projector, which seems to be getting farther and farther in my future, but I'm kind of obsessed with getting the blackest blacks I can because it's one of the biggest complaints I have about my current 1080p projector, which is vastly better than the previous projector before it, probably because there's, you know, the more than half a decade kind of between the two designs um, and the technology has advanced so far but the blacks on this are much less gray than on the previous one but looking at for example some of JVC's 4k projectors their blacks are vastly better than the blacks on the 1080p projector I have right now OLEDs are still going to give you better overall contrast but I don't want a 72 million dollar 100 inch flat panel I want a projector (laughs) exactly exactly the other odd thing too I'd mentioned about this particular LG projector if you're considering it and you're a fan of 3d glasses this is one of the few projectors I've looked at recently that doesn't actually support 3d so maybe that's something that's just being slowly whittled away from the once solid bastion of places you could actually still buy a 3d display was in the projector world and many projectors still do even the most valued projectors can still support a 3d experience if you're into that but not this particular lg hu 70 la but i still love it Hmm. 
I like its compact design. I love having all those features built into it. I love having a TV tuner built right into it. It's definitely more on the convenience side than I would think it would be for creating the ultimate home theater room. I think what you're looking at in something like a JVC where that company just makes some of the best contrasted imagery you can get out of any projector. If you can go that route, that will look fan-freaking-tastic. Fan-freaking-tastic is a good thing. Oh, yeah. Uh... New 2020 Vizio TVs and soundbars are slowly trickling out. Yeah, they've announced everything. I'm, I'm really curious to see what kind of performance levels they're going to be achieving with their premium, the Quantum X TVs that'll be out later. I'm also curious to see if they'll be doing any kind of micro LED, perhaps, for the backlighting systems. But I think you're probably more interested in that Vizio soundbar called the Elevate. It's a new 5.1.4 yeah. Dolby Atmos soundbar with some crazy features. It looks We're big. seeing a lot of incredibly sophisticated soundbars, yeah, that are incredibly wide. And I want to say this one has something like 18 speakers in it. First of all, let's sort of start at the bottom end. Vizio has been making inexpensive sub $200, sub $300 soundbars uh, that often include a wireless subwoofer that deliver fantastic performance for the money. This one is fairly sophisticated, right? It's 5.1.4. Uh, they're doing Dolby Atmos. Two of the, the speakers rotate up to bounce the Atmos signals off the ceiling uh, to upfire. Uh, they're doing DTSX. And then uh, those will also do kind of forward firing if you don't want to deal with the upfiring. That's wild. The speakers themselves actually rotate. So when yeah. you do enable that upfiring mode for Dolby Atmos, the speakers at the at the sides of the unit end up rotating and pointing upward. And uh, it's a unique design, and I'm sure it sounds pretty damn good, too. What is the price point is my question. The price point is... Elevate Let me just double check. Will be available this fall for $999.99. Thousand bucks even. Yeah, okay, there it is up on Best Buy. Coming soon. 18 speakers? Yeah. Oof. It is a non-trivial uh, piece of engineering. Compared to, say, the Sonos Arc, it uses yeah. it uses a plastic outside shell that they've drilled with 70-some-odd thousand holes for the audio transmission. The Elevate's actually a 48-inch unit, and it's anodized aluminum body, which I felt was... Mm -hmm. that's That sounds more premium than other designs I've seen out of Vizio and coming in at that <laughs> 9.99 price point well it better sound good well yeah I have but no it has doubt. auto rotating drivers yes um <laughs> it makes me laugh they spend but baby voice assistance built in the remote controls and the next generation uh sound bars look really good so they've they've got uh the v series the m series all in one which is uh, the all in one means there's no separate subwoofer or satellites the m series which includes separate satellites and a subwoofer the elevate is their flagship design the v system or the v series is their entry level stuff you know vizio has been doing yeoman's work in this area and, and it, they look to be continuing that so as soon as those start coming out we'll get our earballs on them it's looking like how it goes on the TV side of things, most of the lineup for 2021 is available today at mm -hmm. most of your popular retailers. There are a couple of the larger size screens. I want to say they're showing the P-Series Quantum X 85-inch and the 75-inch V-Series and their upcoming OLED TV, which is probably the biggest news. They're aiming more for a fall time frame for the release of those particular units. So if you're, if you're itching for that Vizio OLED, at arguably a pretty good price. <laughs> uh, we have to wait a little longer. We always have to wait a little longer. 
We wait with bated breath. Uh, Logitech's killing off their Harmony Express remote. So that, that launched in 2019. It was a very simplified remote from Harmony that added uh, voice control, had Alexa built in to the Harmony remote system. Quote, unfortunately, our expectations were not met for this kind of Harmony remote. And as a result, we've decided to focus our efforts on our core user experience, powerful universal remote control in a world with many devices connected to the TV. Um, we've both been using Harmony remotes on and off for approximately forever. Uh, the Harmony Express in particular will no longer work after September 30th, 2020, which you know makes me wonder if they were eating a fair amount of expenses or resources to make this thing function. They're going to be offering uh, Harmony Elites in exchange to Express owners. And it's kind of funny because you can initiate this process from inside the app and you need to do that before September 30th. But Harmony Elites will be offered in exchange or if you have the original receipts, you can uh, exchange that for uh, cash, a refund of the amount you produced it for. Uh, the Harmony Elite's pretty nice. It's, it's more of a traditional LED screen, lots more buttons uh, than the Harmony Express. It's kind of a bummer. Um, the reviews on Amazon were not super excited about the Harmony Express, but I thought it actually worked incredibly well. For what it's worth, if you exchange it for a Harmony Elite, you're getting a $350 universal home control that includes a hub, the remote, and apps that'll run on your phone. So I do appreciate that and the fact they're at least offering yeah. something to current owners of the Express. But there is a need out there for simplified remote controls. And honestly, sometimes it's like really all I want on the remote is a power button and a volume control. Or just <laughs> depending on the use case and who it is yeah. that needs to use it, Sometimes it's way better with way fewer buttons in terms of day-to-day -day use. But you can always use that voice assistant to make things happen, too, if that's available. But uh, it, at least it seems like Logitech's providing a, a rather expensive upgrade for the current owners of the Harmony Express. But there is a need, though, for just simplified remotes for certain cases that yeah. well, hopefully somebody, somebody out there is doing it right and making those kind of products available and not incredibly difficult to find. I was kind of fascinated watching an argument going back and forth on some forums where somebody was all like, it's stupid to do phone interfaces and Sonos is dumb and everything should be Alexa or Google or they should come up with their own. And uh, all I could think was, you know, one, there's households, for example, like mine, where my wife will uh, quite unashamedly throw anything that listens to the family out <laughs> and talks back out of the house yes. as soon as she finds it. Um, or people that just don't simply want to deal with that stuff. Like me. And, uh, yeah. And also, I want to say, a lot of times, it, it's not nearly you know in your mind it's star trek and you're talking to you know the computer and everything's fantastic and in reality you know it's like a drunken cousin uh with an incredibly slow response um which may be my own personal bitter relationship to uh voice control over the last couple decades and it is vastly better than it used to be uh but sometimes it's really nice to just sort of have pictures on your phone and and sort of touch things which also might be a sign of my age and foolishness but i hate talking over what's playing when i want to set something to come up next uh i 100 we'll agree see. it's not my we'll favorite way of interacting with my home theater gear i am more of no. the a good remote control guy 
not the onion walmart is converting a whole bunch of parking lots into drive-in movie theaters this came out of media play news quote with spikes in coronavirus infections putting a damper on movie theater reopenings nationwide walmart announced plans to convert 160 store parking lots into movie drive-ins to screen family-themed movies beginning in august so this is working with tribeca enterprises which is the crew in new york that does tribeca film festival they're going to do it socially distances right because it's a drive-in you're sitting in your car you'll be spaced out they'll do curbside snack pickup or whatever snacks they have at the walmart uh if you you know the details are kind of thin on the ground at this point but if you want to find out what's going on you can go to walmartdrive-in.com they're also going to be putting that in the walmart.com weekly newsletter and this is supposed to start in early august that's really cool. I actually thought it was really cool because, uh, you know, they tend to have a lot of empty space at the Walmart parking lot. <laughs> this is true. I kind of doubt no. that my local Walmart's going to be doing this. But if you have a big parking lot and a blank space to put up a screen <laughs> and the store is full of snacks, <laughs> I think, there are I think worse thing. it could be a win-win for some folks. Oh, <laughs> my goodness. So... You know, when we hear more, we'll let you know, or just head over to uh, walmartdrive-in.com and uh, grab the big bag of popcorn. Uh, sad news: uh, Ennio Morricone uh, died at the age of 91 uh, just a week or two ago. Uh, if you're wondering why that name seems familiar, he scored uh, over 500 movies, most notably uh, several decades ago, Sergio Leone's Clint Eastwood classics, A Fistful of Dollars, For a Few Dollars More, and The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. If you're a fan of spaghetti westerns, you are intimate with this man's uh, compositions. He also scored uh, Once Upon a Time in the West and Once Upon a Time in America. Uh, he scored uh, one of my favorite movies, The Untouchables, uh, films by Terrence Malick, Barry Levinson. He got his second Oscar. Uh, he got a lifetime achievement oscar then a few years later received an actual uh, oscar for the soundtrack to the hateful eight back in 2015 his work was universally kind of recognized he was used in concerts uh by the ramones metallica his work was covered by yo-yo ma and about a billion other people gotta love this guy uh his lawyer writes the new york times quote distributed a statement that mr morricone had written himself titled quote i ennio morricone am dead end quote full stop <laughs> oh man this is a man who's like it's a very italian response to one's impending uh departure from the planet very direct um, right to the point but that's incredible you movies you've heard this man's work exactly yeah. how many of those movies i've actually seen and it just so happens that the good the bad and the ugly is on netflix right now and it actually looks pretty good too <laughs> So if you haven't checked that out or you just want to partake in the beautiful sounds of Mr. Morcone, uh, it's easy to do. That it is. I finally scored a Sonos amp on eBay. That's the Sonos device uh, with a built-in uh, 100 Whopper channel amplifier, Class D amplifier, that works with your Sonos system. And what's interesting about that is it's one of the Sonos devices that is supported by the Sonos 2 or the second stage Sonos app, so I can play around with streaming lossless audio from Cobuzz and uh, Tidal and other places. It measures something like 200 watts at 4 ohms, 150 watts in 8 ohms. So pardon me, not 100, 150 watts per channel uh, and as high as 200 
100 watts on a 4 ohm load. Uh, super, super clean, ton of power. Audio Science Review uh, measured the line input, which is pretty mediocre, but actual digital streaming over your network is fairly impressive, uh, especially for the money. Uh, and I probably should mention I finally updated to the Sonos S2 app, which is a lot like the original Sonos app, uh, except it doesn't work with some of the older products. Part of me is, is kind of tempted to, to get out the stopwatch and, and test the load times for lossless tracks on Kobuz versus uh, lossy tracks on Spotify. Not because there's any issue with either service, but just because I feel that these, in some cases the size of the lossless tracks is so much larger than the lossy tracks that it, there's an actual sort of a physical weight even on my ridiculous 900 megabit per second fiber connection in the house. Oh. It also may be, you know, me being completely, you know, bored at two in the afternoon and being like, why is it by track loading? <laughs> I'm curious about but that too. Do check that out. I, and yeah. I was curious for this particular amp, the Sonos amp, does mm-hmm. that support stereo or is it just for one speaker? It's stereo. It has a subwoofer output. Uh, oh, it cool. has a... Yeah, it's got an analog input, in, and the thing, for, you know, that's basically sort of the hipster analog input for your turntable, but again, Audio Science Review, the analog input was pretty mediocre compared to streaming digital got over it. it. It's heavily engineered and stylishly engineered for being put in rack mount systems. So if you have like a whole house audio system, this is where a lot of the Sonos amps got sold in the previous generation, where somebody had, you know, speakers in 22 rooms or four rooms or eight rooms, and they had a rack in their media closet somewhere, uh, you know, and then ran cable all over the house, the speakers. so what they did is they made these stackable. They have some fairly sophisticated, uh, you can do banana plugs in the back, or they have some fairly hefty uh, speaker cable clamps on the back. Uh, there's a subwoofer output on it. I, I don't have a, I'm waiting for my subwoofer to return uh, home, uh, or, you know, or any of my subwoofers to return home. They're all still in storage back in Reno. But once I get a subwoofer in there, I'm going to play around with the subwoofer output because I'm not sure if it's doing an internal cutoff on the subwoofer or if it's uh, sending a full signal over the subwoofer port so that you can tune the output. When you buy a Sonos device, one of the nice things they do is you can run TruePlay and it blasts a signal and you walk around your room waving uh, your your iPhone around like a totem and it tunes the output from the Sonos speaker or speakers to help deal with whatever issues you have in your room. For example, if, if it's got, you know, super hard walls or there's delay issues or whatever. I find it works pretty there. well. It does, actually. It measures reflections, you know, because everything in your room impacts the sound, the stuff that absorbs sound, like your couch, the stuff that reflects sound, like hard walls. But essentially, they, they tune it uh, to get the best possible audio experience. Uh, I don't feel it's like it's just a, night or day. I, I feel like no. it's an already good speaker, and it gets just a little bit better, especially for whatever environment yeah. you have it placed in. Subtle is a good yes, word for exactly. it. Yes, exactly. Good way to put it. <laughs> but they don't have TruePlay implemented for any speaker you connect into the Sonos amp because they just have no idea what the speaker is supposed to sound like, um, which is fairly reasonable. Yeah, it's been fun having some some big speakers set up on that and being able to just implement that in with the rest of the Sonos stuff because we have so much audio running into the Sonos amps. Uh, it's kind of a primary way we listen to music. Oh, you are reminding me. I came across one of my archived audio CDs that I streamed to a Sonos speaker and realized that whenever I ripped that disc, I must have had an issue. Three or four of the tracks on that particular album have distortions in them that I thought at first were like, oh, it's streaming related. There's something wrong with the network, blah, blah, blah. And then I play it a few more times. I'm like, no, that's just a poorly encoded track. And I need to go dig that disc back up. 
and re-encode it properly and, <laughs> and it just <laughs> it's it's not a perfect science but it gives me a small no. project you know small projects are nice yeah in fact the finding the disc uh, or ordering it on on amazon is probably going to be a bigger project than the actual re-ripping of the disc <laughs> you know exactly it's in my storage unit and it's in one of those disc folders and i have a good idea of where it is but there's several piles of gear in front of that particular spot. <laughs> I need to go Oops. dig for it. So yeah, it comes down to what, what's the uh, more effective use of your time, digging through your storage unit or just ordering it again online and having it <laughs> shipped to you. So we'll see. But either somebody way. who's bought like, I think four or six copies of Rage Against the Machines first album because the 20th anniversary edition is so brutally compressed, it's uh, problematic to listen to. It, there are worse things than having a, a second or third copy True that. Of, your, uh, of your favorite album. Mike posted up on uh, Patreon that he loves his Synology too. He says, hey guys, I wanted to reiterate all the things Robert said about the Synology 1019 Plus. I have one, I love it. I use it as a Plex and file server. It was so easy to set up and it just works. I had a bunch of old Western Digital 500 gigabyte and one terabyte drives sitting around when I first got it. I threw those into it. A couple of those started to die. It warned me and I replaced them with a couple of eight terabyte Western Digital Reds. The BTRFS file system works great with all the different sizes and hot swapping worked perfectly. I ripped all my CDs and Blu-rays to it. The only downside, if you can call it that, is that I can hear the hard drives being accessed. I don't have a server closet, so my NAS sits next to my entertainment center. It's not distracting, but I can still hear it. Again, I'm glad I picked this model. Sweet. Thanks, Mike. I really love Synology products in terms of just ease of use, the setup. And if you do have like a hodgepodge collection of old drives just kind of going to waste, throw them all into a device like that. And like uh, Mike did, as one or two fail, you can, you know, put in some much larger drives and have your system automatically expand. It's not the quickest process in the world to swap a drive out and put another drive in. It can take up to a day or two, depending on how much data is involved with a particular drive in terms of <laughs> rebuilding it or redoing the system with a new drive or adding more drives but otherwise i have nothing but praise for their their hardware and in terms of all the things you can do with it everything from you know camera security systems to running your own docker clients to running a website off of one whatever you want there's an app there and an app like store to go you know customize it to your heart's content also, if you're going to be setting these up, go through the security setup and double check that you have good lockout protection for people trying to hammer the accounts on that particular box, especially if you do leave it connected <laughs> to the web in general or if you have remote access set up on it. Just right. be aware. Take a look at that auto block list once in a while and tweak accordingly. <laughs> tweak as if your life depended on it. Heck yeah. Uh, Matt sent us an email to ask at avxl.com about some red vertical bars. He was getting on HDR content on a TCL 5 series television. He says, I've noticed on three separate occasions during dark scenes that there are 15 dark red vertical bars across the middle of the screen that are about one and a half inches wide and spaced about four inches apart. They're about eight inches tall or maybe take up the middle fifth of the screen. I've noticed them during dark sky scenes in the HDR UHD playback of Call of the Wild on Voodoo and more recently watching the HDR version of Troop Zero on Amazon Prime when she was looking at the stars and later in front of the blackboard. I took a few pictures. He sent them in the email. He says, I noticed that if I reload the movie, I rewind past the buffer 
driver, for example, it doesn't always show up. Do you have any idea what could cause this? That is an odd looking issue. I was laughing because I kept getting this uh, blank black box at the bottom of this small, maybe two inch high, three inch high, two inch wide black rectangle at the bottom of the screen on our smaller 40, uh, 42 inch TV we, we picked up for the RV. And, you know, I'll be honest with you, this is embarrassing to admit, it took me about a month to figure out that it was an artifact from the captioning. <laughs> and oh, so there would be funny. pauses, or, or literally I was like seeing a space bar in between a couple of sentences, <laughs> and a black box would pop up, and I'd be like, what is that? And, and I finally was like, when I would turn off uh, closed captioning, the little black box would go away. You know, what you're describing sounds like it could be an encoding artifact, but Probably not, because when you rewind it, it it disappears. It could be a decoding artifact, which makes more sense. It could be a glitch with how the movie is cached before it's processed in there. Um, you had a you had sort of a classic good place to start with this, which was to fully reset the TV. That's usually a very good first step. Granted, you generally when you do this, you're going to blow out all your custom settings and things like that as well. So keep that in mind. Also, if this is a Wi-Fi connected TV, make sure you have all your login information ready to go. But resetting the TV is a great first step because especially if it's been there a while and people have tweaked it and changed things and you're just not 100% sure, it gives the whole system an opportunity to start clean at the very beginning. And if the issue is still happening, are you seeing it from all sources? Uh, even things that are connected inter uh, externally to the TV as well. Now, if it's just the streaming sources, well, I'd also check your warranty. And if you can, get in contact with the company directly. If it is a known issue, hopefully others have experienced it as well. I have never actually seen an artifact quite like this, and it does look like something internally in the TV might be messed up. Again, I would fully reset the TV. If it suddenly goes away, then I'd be more inclined to say that it's probably a software bug. Of course, you should check for an update for the TV as well and all of your streaming sources. But if you're using the apps built into a display, then that's really kind of, you know, it's a TCL 5 Series TV, likely with Roku built in. So <laughs> that generally should work just fine with everything. If you fully reset the TV, you're not seeing it with external devices. That leads me more to thinking that it probably is an issue with the TV itself. But if you ever have problems with TVs and it is still under warranty, take advantage of it. Contact the support group for whatever company it is and get on their radar and get that taken care of. One thing to keep in mind too about warranties for electronics, I find many credit cards, if you read the fine print, actually add an additional year to the warranty on bigger electronic purchases like televisions. So if maybe the manufacturer's warranty has just expired, conveniently, do check the paperwork for your credit card to see if they would cover it as well. That could be a relatively painless way of getting service on something that might be quote unquote out of warranty. I personally have never seen anything like that with those kind of uniform red marks all the way across the screen and the fact that it's not appearing every time in every similar situation. It just strikes me as maybe something's decoding funny on the internal mm -hmm. side or there's just a bug in there or something on a board that is failing to cause that. You have options. Start by fully resetting that TV. If you're not seeing it with external source devices, but only the internal source devices, that's right. just good information to have when you talk to somebody at the company to discuss a potential warranty fix on this. And then, like I said, 
take advantage of a credit card if it added another year to your warranty and that would help you out. It's totally worth doing. And that, <laughs> that could cost you nothing. Nothing is good. Yeah. Han, a.k.a. at AZ Phoenician, tweets, If you enjoy the Studio Ghibli films, check out the at Overly Animated Podcast Ghibli Rewatch series. They're going through all the films in honor of them being available streaming on HBO Max. Love it, AVXL. Keep up the good work. Aww. Well, thanks for the heads up, man. No, that's actually... It's always it's fun to hear other people talk about some of your favorite movies, except when it's not, and there's only one way to find out. <laughs> Good point. Good point. <laughs> Patreon.com slash AVXL is the place you can go to if you want to help support the podcast. Put some uh, a little bit of cash in our pockets. It's a tiny donation. We're going to do a Hangouts in the next week or two, we will get that scheduled and posted on Patreon. Uh, ask at avxl.com is the email address. If you've got questions, we've got a whole stack of viewer questions coming up from there and those that you have tweeted out to us coming up next week, along with some more product discussion and everything else we think is interesting in home theater and audio. Uh, with that, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening. If this is your first episode, please subscribe. Search for AVXL on your favorite podcatcher or go to avxl.com for the website for all of the links for information on how to subscribe to the podcast with that ladies and gentlemen i'm patrick norton hey i am robert heron we'll catch you next week on avxl all right